Travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. The Silk Road was once a crossroads for the movement of people, goods, and ideas between Europe and Asia that included the former Soviet republics of Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, and Uzbekistan. Frequent listeners of our show will have already learned a bit about Central Asia from prior episodes with Bradley Mayhew and Stephen Loy, where we talked about Central Asia at large and Kyrgyzstan in particular. Today, we welcome back Tom Masters to the show, who originally came on to speak about the Maldives, and will today share some knowledge about the most mysterious country in the world, perhaps certainly one of the least visited, Turkmenistan. I'm Trevor Ranges in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, where I just arrived today from Siem Reap, and joining me in Bangkok, Thailand, is my co-host, Scott. Hey, Scott. What's up? Looking forward to this one. It kind of strikes me that we've got this guy that wrote a book about Maldives and about Turkmenistan. You couldn't really get two countries that are seemingly much more different from one another and in completely different parts of the planet. So, yeah, I'm I'm pretty pumped about this one. What do you know about Turkmenistan, Trevor? Wow. You know, like I knew so little about this region until we had guests on to kind of share their knowledge about it. But interestingly enough, Turkmenistan was one of the countries that I probably had the most awareness of just because like Tom, I was fascinated in politics and uh, growing up in, in the 1980s during the, the Soviet Union and the, the fall of the Soviet Union and the creation of some of these countries, Turkmenistan had this really interesting history uh, in, in the post-Soviet days. So I had some interest in it, but then I didn't know anything for like decades. So right before the show, I went on to, to YouTube and I watched some videos and I learned cool. some really interesting things. So here's some facts okay. I learned. Turkmenistan is the seventh least visited country in the world. Wow. Um, it's very expensive to travel to. So you have to organize your trip beforehand with uh, like a tour agent and uh, the guy who shot the video spent a thousand dollars for a four day trip, which was pretty pricey. Um, otherwise, it's got the fourth largest natural gas reserves in the world. So okay. that makes it an incredibly wealthy country. So. The other interesting thing was that 90% of the people who live in this country work for the government. So I don't know what they all do, but like, it's interesting because we'll call it like a former Soviet Republic, but it seems, and maybe Tom can shed some light on a little bit of this, seems like it's still sort of a communist country in that like their government earns all the money and then gives everybody jobs to keep like their economy going. Because they have all these fancy buildings, giant marble buildings. It has a, the, the capital city of Ashgabat has a Guinness world record for the most marble buildings. Wow. Okay. Do you know why, do you know why the buildings are marble, Scott? I'm guessing they have a lot of marble there they can mine. No, it's all imported. And wow. the reason why is because it's really hot in Turkmenistan, in Ashgabat, and marble helps keep buildings cool. So they have these ah. giant marble structures that are cool inside because the marble maintains that cool temperature. 
That is pretty neat. And that makes a lot of sense. Other things. Yeah, some of those marble buildings, really cool. The architecture, the Ministry of Education looks like a like a big open book with the building inside the book, which is kind of cool. Okay. And this is all because the, the, they had this like dictator, this kind of guy who he, he changed the names of all of the calendar months to relatives of his. Really? Wow. That's <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's crazy, right? So you would be born on like Julia the seventh or something. Although August and July and all those were named after people too. The other thing that was really crazy was he doesn't like the smell of dogs, so he made it illegal for anyone in the country to own dogs as pets. Uh, clearly a good idea, right? <laughs> yeah, very interesting. What did you know about uh, Turkmenistan before, Scott? Well, I was surprised a couple little things. I kind of looked at a few online stats like you. Is There's only about, uh, what is it, 6 million people there. 93% mm. of them are Muslim. I think not hardline, though. But my dad almost, and I almost went through Central Asia in 2019. So we had actually gotten some quotes on trips. And I knew that there was like a 1K no man's land where you walk crossing from Uzbekistan to Turkmenistan. I knew that you needed a guide. And mm -hmm. I've read the excellent book, The Great Game by Peter Hopkirk, which is about Britain and Russia's jockeying for control of Central Asia, which really piqued my interest further. And I, I think they're almost like a bit of a hermit kingdom, really, really closed off. But aside from that, Deserts, vast distances, very famous cities from the Silk Road times. I mean, Ashgabat, just say Ashgabat or Merv and things like that. Like, I've got to see them someday. They are one point, you know, kind of the business trading routes of the world and now some of the quietest trading routes of the world. So not a lot, a little bit, but I'm very intrigued. Yeah, some of the ruins looked really old and interesting and uh, remote. I think, again, as as one of the least visited countries in the world, they obviously wouldn't struggle with over-tourism at any of these attractions. So that no. is always something that would lure me to go and visit a place if I knew that like you could have some kind of experience like that to yourself, which really makes a big difference in a tourism. Like, it, it changes the experience entirely, right? Yeah, and I've got to mention two little fun facts you found uh, here. It said that 90% of people are government employed and only 1% of the population has internet. That has got to be some of the lowest internet penetration in the world. Yeah, I wonder if they have really high book reading rates then, you know, like people <laughs> still might want to read. Yeah, I would suppose. Yeah, there's got to be some radio, maybe know. old sand tablets or something stuff written on stones. <laughs> So if you are enjoying the show, remember Trevor and I do this as a hobby. There are costs involved and wonderful people called Patreons. They donate from as little as a dollar a month upwards to us by going to patreon.com, searching the show name or clicking donate on our homepage. And what do they get besides this great show? They get a little something special in between all of the regular episodes. We share a video or a special patron only episode. So please become a patron, help us cover the costs and keep this going. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Scott, for joining me. Let's bring Tom on. Originally from London, journalist, travel writer, and worldly gentleman Tom Masters has covered the world and then some. Based out of Berlin for more than a decade, he specializes in the former Soviet Union, Eastern Europe, and Latin America. He's also interested in human rights, ecotourism, ethical travel, and languages, of which he speaks five. Russian, German, French, Spanish, and English. He's written books for Lonely Planet, covering countries from Turkmenistan to Cuba. Worked as a documentary producer for the BBC Discovery, and he joins us online from Berlin. How are you doing, Tom? Good, thank you. How are you doing? 
Very well. And you were recently on another episode of ours, and we learned that you had written A Lonely Planet on Turkmenistan, and we thought, well, we have to have Tom back on. But for people that did not hear the last episode you were on, I believe, about Maldives, can you tell us when and how did you first become a travel writer? First became a travel writer in uh, early 2000, so about 2003. Um, I wrote to Lonely Planet asking them if they would let me write a book about Albania, and uh, they flatly refused me, but uh, did very kindly offer me a job writing about other places. Um, mm. And yeah, it was actually about <laughs> almost 20 years later, they commissioned me to write a book about Albania uh, just before the, uh, the pandemic began. So I, I still haven't written the book about Albania. That's very interesting then. So it seems like you were already kind of interested maybe in that part of the world or in these former Soviet-style republics before you were interested in writing. Or maybe at the same time, how did that come about? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I just kind of grew up in the, sh like, I mean, a lot of people of my age, you know, grew up in the 80s in the shadow of the Soviet Union being told that everything terrible was from there and being instantly fascinated by this terrible place. Um, and, you know, discovering that it wasn't nearly as terrible as everyone thought, although, of course, <laughs> there were lots of terrible things. Yeah, it, it definitely came from that. And writing came afterwards. It was always a, a love of this completely unknown world uh, when I was a kid that, that got me going. So how and when did Tom first end up in Turkmenistan? I first went there in 2003, actually, from the Caucasus, uh, where I had been writing uh, for Lonely Planet about Azerbaijan and Georgia. And, uh, yeah, we, I, I, I took the ferry across. At that point, this was a completely insane country. It was not, hadn't even developed its reputation for insanity. It was so little <laughs> known. People had literally never heard of it. Um, and this was when, you know, the, the president at the time, Shukman Bashi, was really, um, just getting going with his madness and discovering the entire country and monuments to himself and renaming the, you know, months of the year after his family members. So this was just, you know, irresistible to me. And as soon as I knew that I was going to the Caucasus, I thought I've definitely got to go over to Turkmenistan. Cool. So that first trip was just because the opportunity arose. Yeah. And from what I learned, it, it is not easy to travel there. And and so that first trip might have been much more limited. So how and how is the Lonely Planet experience different? And uh, and how, how far apart were those two trips? It was a Lonely Planet uh, extension job. Uh, when I realized how close it was, uh, I, I asked them if I could also update the Turkmenistan section. So mm. I went, I went there, uh, then. So yeah, my first, my first time there was working for Lonely Planet. But yeah, it's not a, it's definitely not an easy place to, to, well, to do anything really. Certainly not in those days. I, I doubt it's changed much now, even two presidents later. The biggest problem is that you need to be with a guide at all times outside the capital city. And so the, uh, the only way to avoid that is to, is to be transiting the country on a transit visa, which, he, which you know, they were, they were very hard to get in those days. I think maybe even impossible now um, you, when they would only give you three days to cross the country. So it was really, you'd really have no time in there at all. Um, so, yeah, I had to be met by a guide when I arrived in the country and we spent, you know, I think two or three weeks solidly together, which was, you know, fairly challenging. Fairly limiting, although the, the guide was, you know, very happy to bend the rules. Um, it was still, you know, it wasn't really independent travel as you would know it. 
Yeah, but again, I'm still sort of picturing like, because this is a relatively large geographical country, and you say you're like crossing it in three days, so you probably see like quite a diversity of sites and stuff. But before we really get into it, maybe you can give our listeners like an overview of like what what the country's like, you know, that region's so diverse, Central Asia, like Kyrgyzstan is completely forested, but I don't believe that Turkmenistan is like that at all. So could you give us kind of like an overview of what the country is like for, for everyone? Certainly, yeah, it's, uh, it's an incredible landscape. Um, the vast majority of the country is desert. Um, you have the Karakum Desert, which is, covers most of the center of the country. Um, you have um, mountains to the south with, on the border with Afghanistan and Iran. Um, and then to the north, it's steppe, largely, uh, the border with uh, Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan. And, the, and then you have the Caspian Sea coast uh, in the country as well. So, yeah, there's lots of different, uh, lots of uh, very impressive geography uh, canyons, mountains, vast sort of dry riverbeds, you know, a de- desert nomad culture, um, which where all the major cities are oases. They won't really live up to most people's uh, mental picture of an oasis, but you know, they, they're just anywhere that has any water yeah. where which, you know, could support human life. So it is an oasis, literally. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, the, the image you have of an oasis, mm. cartoon image of the sort of palm trees, uh, and you know, surrounding a pool in the middle of the desert. It's not quite like that. <laughs> Very Soviet version of that. The, the cities in Turkmenistan are largely Soviet in that, you know, the country was so undeveloped um, when it became part of the Soviet Union. The vast majority of the infrastructure that exists um, in the country comes from the Soviet uh, time. So before we get into more about the country and what somebody could see and the people and so forth, I always hear it referred to as a hermit kingdom. Can you help us understand what the situation is with that country and why it's closed off and, and such compared to the other stands? Yeah, that's very interesting. I, uh, I'm i not so sure I can give you a reason for it, apart from the fact that um, when independence came, independence was kind of thrust on Turkmenistan when, when the Soviet Union collapsed. You know, there wasn't really anything approaching a sort of nationalist movement or a you know, strong sentiment that they needed to be independent. It never really existed as, a, as an independent country in its history. It has no history as, really as a nation state being a sort of nomadic culture. But yeah, the, it, was, it was really all down to one man, Sakhul Murad Niyazov, who is best known to the world as Turkmenbashi, who happened to be in charge of Turkmenistan when, when the uh, Soviet Union collapsed. And he took it in its own very specific direction and injected much of the strangeness into the country. I mean, I've always, uh, I've not heard it called the Hermit Kingdom. I always associate that term with North Korea, but, yeah. I've, but I've always heard it re- referred to as the, uh, the world's strangest dictatorship, which I think is definitely still the case, even though it's, uh, it's now a different dictator. This is all really fascinating, and I have a bunch of questions about all the politics and everything. But as a travel podcast, I wanted to steer you back to, uh, you know, what are the, some of the key sites people would see, or, or what, like, if you knew something about the country, like, what are those attractions that draw people there? From the videos I saw, like, the culture was quite interesting. The people were very welcoming. You know, again, they didn't seem oppressed. I didn't want to ask too much about, like, the that aspect of their culture. But it seems like kind of a an interesting place to visit, and there's some sites to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um a lot of people go there for the for the sort of political um, bizarreness uh, and the strange things that they've seen about Turkmenistan. But most people are, uh, you know, come away from the country really impressed by the by the ancient culture, um, particularly uh, two or three 
large ancient cities, uh, there's Merv, um, Gonur, and Kunyu Ugench, which are, you know, thousands of years old, um, different civilizations uh, that are now in ruins. But, you know, and they are, you know, you can just go to them in the middle of the desert and there's no one there. And there's these vast um, cities uh, that you can just walk around. It's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, no, some of that looked really interesting, some of the ruins I saw. But the capital city looked pretty fascinating, too. I mean, you mentioned it being similar to North Korea, but it might, reminded me of, like, the capital of Myanmar, Napitao. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but it, with these big, huge boulevards, like these beautiful roads with no other cars on it and, and whatnot, um, and some interesting architecture as well. Yeah, Ashgabat is an absolutely fascinating place. It's a kind of nationalist project to create a national myth for the country to sort of coalesce around. I, I've not been to the the capital of Myanmar, but uh, it does sound like very similar, you know, build, building a modern city in an authoritarian country by numbers. I mean, Ashgabat is, it's all built with, you know, the, the vast, like, oil and gas receipts that Turkmenistan gets for, you know, incredible natural wealth, which is, so much of it has been just poured into creating this city, which is, looks like the capital of a, of a far wealthier, more modern country than it really is. Um, but yeah, it's, there, there are also parts, you know, Ashgabat's an, you know, it's an old, old city. Most of the things built before, you know, the 1980s have now been destroyed and rebuilt in, in you know, white marble and, you know, topped with gold and everything is gleaming. Uh, it, it, it's, it can feel a bit soulless. But it's, but it's definitely one of the most fascinating places I've ever been. So when you travel Turkmenistan as, say, a tourist, are you traveling by bus, train, car, plane, combination of all of those? Nearly everyone I know who goes there has traveled by uh, with a private car or if they're in a, uh, in a bigger group in a, in a, in a, by bus. Uh, there is an, there, it is possible to take trains. Uh, they're very slow. Although I believe they have actually recently started improving. There isn't really, and you can fly also, there's lots of internal flights, but you know, it's quite dislocating to, to do that because you don't really get to see much of the country. I mean, the roads are pretty good. The distances are long, but there's, there's plenty to see and it's, it's, it's well worth doing that, I think. So yeah, I've, I've spent many, many hours traveling across Turkmenistan by car and I've always come across some very interesting things. I mean, these are, these are, when I say by car, it's with a driver and a guide, of course, so you can't drive yourself. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, whether you could drive, because that might be a cool experience. Um, but otherwise, from what I saw in my research before we got you on the show, the people seemed really friendly, which is unsurprising, I think, for, for the region. I don't know, they, many of them seemed to spoke, speak English or were friendly with Westerners. Like they didn't, I don't, I don't want to make this sound wrong, but uh, they didn't seem like oppressed or anything. Like people seemed to be uh, living their lives pretty normally aside from the, the bizarreness of the, the political system. Oh yeah, I, w I would agree with that. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't comment on whether or not they seem oppressed, but I think they, you know, people, people make accommodations and, and they, they, they live that, they continue to live their lives no matter what the political culture is. Then, yeah, Turkmen uh, of people who are incredibly woman friendly. English speakers, not so many, but, you know, a few words of Russian will go a long way. And they, yeah, they seem genuinely <laughs> delighted, but also surprised to see foreigners, especially outside Ashgabat, where they're, you know, very realistically, they may never have seen a foreigner before. So what kind of food are you going to enjoy when you're there? Uh, well, it's, it's um, fairly standard uh, Central Asian fare. You have this wonderful Central Asian flatbread, 
Um, you have, um, there's a lot of lamb. There's not pork, very little alcohol, although you can drink alcohol. Um, it's available, but you know, the, the prevailing Muslim culture means that it's not something that, that is a big part of Turkmen culture. But of course, you know, because of Russian culture, there's always places you can get a vodka or a beer in the evening. In Ashgabat, you'll find there's plenty of foreign restaurants, um, international food, although, I mean, it's not particularly high standard, um, but otherwise it's, it's a very typical Central Asian uh, cuisine. You know, I was curious about, again, we make these comparisons to North Korea or Myanmar, but those two countries are so very different. You know, like Scott and I have both been to Myanmar and, uh, you know, there's some safety issues, both with your personal belongings and, and maybe from the government. Whereas maybe in North Korea, you're less likely to get robbed on the street because, because of the nature of their political system. So I kind of feel like in Turkmenistan, maybe it's much safer for you. Like you're not necessarily likely to get robbed, but is there any sort of, danger there um, from from anything there, the gov- whether it's the government or, or volcanoes or, or, or what have you? That's a good question. I think the, I think getting in trouble with the government is probably, has always been my biggest concern, but, you know, I've, I've not always gone as a tourist, so, or, you know, I've been pretending to be a tourist when I've actually been doing other things, so, so that's perhaps not a typical experience. I don't think anyone really has anything to fear. Certainly, it's a very safe place on the street, and um, there is uh, nothing, as far as I'm aware, that can kill you animal-wise out there. Or, I mean, earthquakes are always a, a possibility. There was yeah. a terrible one that flattened Ashgabat in the 40s, wow. uh, which is still very prevalent nationally. How does somebody get in and out of this country? Because I can't imagine there's a lot of direct flights. So how do you get in and out? Oh, you mean actually getting there? Uh, yeah, you can. Uh, there are yeah. very few, yeah. At the moment, I think there's almost none because the country is still shut entirely from, from uh, because of COVID. Uh, but the I, I've flown there before from Tashkent. I've flown there before from Istanbul, the, the, which are the you know the two major hubs in you know in the sort of Turkic world. Uh, the other an, another common way to get there is by boat across the Caspian. You can take mm-hmm. a an ancient kind of disgusting old cargo ship. From Baku in Azerbaijan to Turkmenbashi, which is the name of the main port on in, on the coast, uh, that's that's a fascinating, if very weird trip, which I did, you know, 20 years or so ago. It's cool because you as you you, you, you cross the, the Caspian and you see all these all, all these uh, oil platforms. Um, it's just an incredible sight, and uh, yeah, then you arrive in in the center of Turkmenistan. Uh, it's yeah, I don't even know. I mean, I think it is still running that ship, but it's not, it's not really an official way in. You have to wait often for days before it leaves. And I had to bribe someone to let him, uh, to let me use his cabin. Wow. Hey, so I'm, I'm having a look at the Google map here now and that coast along the Caspian Sea. There seems to be like a huge, I don't know if it's a lake there. And I don't know if that's where they're doing like the, the drilling or whatnot, but how is the coast? It looks like there's a, a fair amount of coast that might be nice. It's not particularly nice. Uh, I've, I've swum once in the Caspian Sea there and, and did regret it. And I sort of, my, it was kind of like oil slick on my body for about three days afterwards. Um, it's, you know, there, there are some beaches and they're sandy and it's pretty enough, but it's, it's certainly not, it's not really a, a beach destination. Hardly the Maldives. Yeah, the, Caspian, eh? the Caspian literally smells of oil. 
Like that's how much oil they have. So Tom, I mean, this is a massive country and I've also been looking at a map before and, and during this, what's sort of the minimum amount of time someone's going to need to have a meaningful trip? I mean, for a meaningful trip, oh yeah, I mean, a minimum of, of five days, really, I think. I mean, you can, you could cross the country, you know, in a, in, in two days if necessary overland, but you would barely have a chance to stop and see anything. I, I think a lot of people have, have had to shoehorn everything into three days because they don't want to travel with a guide. And so they end up getting a transit visa, which does limit them. But, you know, if, if, in, if your independence is more important to you, then, spending a bit more time in a place and that's totally doable as well. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think the very minimum five days to see a few of the other things because, you know, things aren't particularly handily uh, spaced out. It's not very logical and you have just a lot of travel involved to get to all the points that you'd like, you'd want to see. Do you think then also you would want to combine it with a visit to like Uzbekistan or Tajikistan? Because like if you flew into Ashgabat and you drove across the country, then you're there at Uzbekistan and you're in the region. So you might as well spend five days there and like make two weeks out of it with Turkmenistan as part of a Central Asia trip. You think that would be the best plan? Absolutely. That's, um, that's a really great plan because, uh, it takes you, you are immediately um, in, in, in the furthest, most remote, but one of the most fascinating bits of Uzbekistan when you cross the border, um, in the north at Konyugench, uh, because you're, you go to the, you're actually in this area of Uzbekistan called Kalpakistan, where Nukus, the city of Nukus is, uh, which is the gateway to the Aral Sea, um, uh, which is the, the sea which has been receding and has basically disappeared in northern Uzbekistan. And, and then you can continue down the Silk Road to the famous Uzbek cities of Bukhara and Kiva and, and up to Tashkent and Samarkand. So we have one week. We're going to go to Turkmenistan and we're going to put it next to a trip to maybe Uzbekistan. Where should we be going over that week? And can you tell us quickly about those spots? So, yeah, if you were, if you were arriving in Ashgabat, you could spend a couple of days there. There's some nice um, trips you can do from the city. Mountains nearby, there's an underground lake um, about an hour and a half drive from Ashgabat, which is fascinating. You can then, uh, you could either then head uh, east towards uh, the second city of Mari, where the two ancient cities, Gonur and Merv, are nearby. Or you could head directly north through the desert and stop off at one of the most famous sites in the country, which is the gas craters at Darvaza. And this is something that <laughs> should be seen soon because they're actually planning to fill them in. Um, mm. I don't know if it's oh. actually going to happen or not. But yeah, so the, the gas craters um, are, are fascinating. So in the 1970s, uh, I think a herdsman lit a fire that ignited um, gas pouring out of this crater, and it's been burning ever since. Um, and so and it really is an incredible experience. You could go there. There's a little, there's homestays nearby where you can stay overnight because you want to go there at night. Uh, they call it the gates of hell, which is, you know, kind of pleasantly melodramatic. But, um, I, it, it is probably, you know, the country's most famous site. So it would seem like a very strange decision to, to fill it in. Right. But, uh, it, apparently it's about to, it's about to be filled in. On that road, which goes through the center of the country, um, from Ashgabat past Davaza, continues to Kunyurgench which is uh, the country's most famous ancient site. Um, and, and that is beautiful, well worth visiting uh, right on the Uzbek border. And then you can cross straight into Uzbekistan from there. What's that site called? Kunyer Urgench. 
Yeah, I hope you got some good photos for us uh, to share with our listeners. Otherwise, we usually have a Google map, but I think we would have dropped pins on just about everything here. So if you just check out Turkmenistan on a Google map, <laughs> all of these sites he's mentioning are pretty easy to find, and they look pretty interesting. Um, so those are actually some really good tips. Thanks, Tom. How about your favorite memory from Turkmenistan? I'm not sure I can tell you my most famous my favorite memories. So they were usually involving pretending not to be a journalist and mm. um, not I mean, taking notes, cutting right? it pretty fine at various points. Yeah, um, I once got I got once got chased down the street by a policeman uh, because I asked what time the Chinese embassy that he was guarding was open, uh, and he was he was so angry and was so convinced that I was a, a, spy, a spy stroke journalist which, you know, I was at least a journalist, uh, he, he, he literally ran down the street after me. So what about traveling with this guide and driver and, and knowing a bit now how you've told us about the government? When you're making the trip, are you relaxed and kind of feeling free to chat with people and get to know them? Or is your guide really keeping a, a close eye on you? In my experience, it was always very easy. Um, the various guides that I've traveled with were, were all incredibly open and, and supportive of, you know, me talking to locals. But that is clearly not a lot of people's experience, though. Um, I've seen documentaries and I've heard stories from other people about guides really, you know, trying to reinvent the, the tourists in, make sure they didn't have any independent contact, hmm. um, which is, which sounds really frustrating. I think it's therefore a very good idea to, to, you know, to find out who it is you'll be traveling with and, and, and shop around. And, and to talk to people who've been there and see what their experiences were. Good tip. Maybe pick up uh, Lonely Planet to take with you. <laughs> yes, it's been a while since I wrote that guide, actually. But I believe it still exists. Yeah, well, I'm sure because of your interest in the history and all that, that uh, that type of information in the book uh, is probably really interesting. Otherwise, you know, I I don't know how long you, it's been since you traveled there, but I understand the internet is very limited, so it might be hard to like get around using your phone or trying to get some information about things. I don't know. The, the internet's always been fairly problematic. There it was usually only, I mean, I remember back in the days of uh, good old internet cafes uh, that was that was actually quite accessible. Nowadays, I mean, last time I was there, I definitely had internet on my phone. Um, I, I can't tell you what it's like now. Um, I think the signs are, I mean, they just, they just, uh, elected a new president who happens to be the son of the last president, but you know, he's, he's younger and I think the chances of reform are kind of better than they have been now for a long time. Sounds like a fascinating wild place that I certainly hope to get to someday soon, Tom. So, wow, thanks so much for making time to share it with us. You're welcome. I highly recommend it. I hope you do get there one day. Yeah, I like the combination of the three kingdom, or the three countries. And you know, it's great. We had you on originally to talk about the Maldives. And from our introduction that we wrote, that's how we learned that you were an expert in these types of places. So maybe we'll have you on some other day to talk about... Uh, one other remote former Soviet Asian Republic. It would be absolutely my pleasure. Hey, Scott, there was great to have Tom back on the show again. Very different country from the Maldives. Um, very interesting stuff. Uh, one of the weirdest places I think anybody could visit. And I'm glad that we found someone who had been there and could tell us about it. Yeah, indeed. I don't think there's a whole ton of Western travelers that have been through there. And it's been on my radar for a while, as I mentioned earlier in the episode. And I'm just fascinated with Central Asia. And I couldn't stop looking at a Google map and clicking on all the places that he was mentioning. 
all the way through because although I've read about it and he told us about it, I still just can't wrap my head around these vast, vast central Asian deserts. So I'm, I'm deeply intrigued. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Again, uh, we didn't make a specific Google map for this episode yet, um, but I think you can just Google Turkmenistan and look it up uh, because it's pretty interesting. And some of those sites that uh, we didn't get too in-depth on into the show, uh, some of those archaeological ruins of these ancient cities look really fascinating. So I think it's definitely worth checking out. And and as Tom suggested, maybe uh, going through the region like you want to do and visiting a few countries uh, would give you some amazing diversity too. I think it would be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think like he mentioned, the, the obvious one is doing it with Uzbekistan because you have all those great uh, Silk Road cities. I mean, when I just hear Ashgabat, I mean, that uh, really just sounds so exotic. Or Merv, there's incredible sights there. And then when you get across, there's Bukhara and Samarkand and, you know, all these in- incredible spots. And just to go somewhere where people don't see many travelers, that's got to be a novelty. I remember when I went to Cuba you know, when I was 19 and then I was 20 again, it was really a novelty for people just to interact and hang out. And I sort of imagine it to be a bit of the same in Turkmenistan, unless the government really keeps an eye on who's talking to foreigners. But I bet you'd have some really neat, interesting experiences with locals. Yeah, you know, and that reminded me because I've only been to Myanmar once and that was late 2001 or early 2002. And I remember we would stop to have lunch somewhere in the, the desert there. And people would just stare at me because I don't know that they'd ever seen a white person before. It just been 50 years since they had. And, and so I, I, I understand that feeling of being so different and then being in a place that's so different to you as well, you know, and Turkmenistan definitely has that feel. But uh, again, I, I saw a vi- couple of videos earlier that I'll share links to on the show notes so that people can check it out because it's, it's, totally different it's different from myanmar or north korea it's its own thing and and it seems i don't know it's really beautiful uh it it seemed like it has very friendly people um it seems very safe i think uh safer than some other like dictatorships or former dictatorships so you know yeah i'd love to it's just it's quite far and when he sort of mentioned five days in a week i hate the idea of going to a country and blazing through but you know, I did have a travel itinerary at a time, and it seems pretty common to fly, say, from Ashgabat to, to Mary. These distances are great, and I think you are just crossing a lot of desert without a whole lot to see. So it is one of those places where it's probably okay to be flying between places and, and some car, but you've got vast distances with not a lot to see in the way. But, hey, I'm intrigued. I'm going to get Central Asian the next five years. Not all of it, obviously, but a few of these countries. Tom has sold me. How about you? Yeah, again, I don't know. It's quite far. I could, if I had the opportunity, I would definitely go visit one or more of these countries in Central Asia just because they are so fascinating. Um, but I, I don't know that it's going to happen. I mean, after the show, we were talking with Tom about where he was headed next and he's, you know, there's so many interesting places to check out. But for those who are interested, you know, visit our show notes on talktravelasia.com. We'll have links to Tom on Instagram, Tom's website, ambiguations, links to other shows that we did about Central Asia and a link to donate to the show via Patreon and uh, help us keep it going. Scott, why don't you take us out? 
Yeah, thanks everyone for listening, sharing your time with us and dreaming of travel. If you like the show, please give us a favorable rating on your platform and throw us some financial love by going to patreon.com, searching the show name or clicking donate on our webpage. So thanks very much. We'll be back in two weeks with another full episode to get you dreaming of travel. Until then. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and 